We implemented many ITIL processes. The world's most practiced method for project management. ITIL has been um, a catalyst in my career. Hundreds of thousands of people with a Prince 2 qualification. I've seen ITIL help organizations be more successful. The Axelos Podcast, bringing best practice directly to you. Welcome, everyone, to this episode of the Axelos Global Best Practice ITSM Podcast. I'm your host, Akshay Anand, and we have an absolutely fabulous panel for you today, probably the best panel we've ever put together. Um, we've got representatives from uh, various uh, ITSM tool vendors to come on today to talk to us about trends that they see uh, in the community, in the industry, uh, how tools are helping or hindering uh, IT service management organizations, teams, and professionals. Uh, so I'll go, uh, I'll introduce them in the order that I see on my screen, starting with Ken Connolly from Atlassian, based out on the west coast of the US. Uh, Ken has been part of the ITSM uh, product marketing team, if I if I understand that correctly. Uh, it's a very complex organization. So Ken, if I've gotten the, the exact uh, details wrong, please do feel free to, to correct me. Uh, but I, I've been speaking to Ken. We, we first met at a conference earlier this year before the whole lockdown thing started. And we've been in touch since. And we've had lots of interesting conversations about ITSM and ITSM tools. Um, Ken's had a, a, quite a bit of history with ITSM tools and implementations, but now he joins us from Atlassian. Uh, Ken, have I missed anything in that whole? Probably, probably missed the, the actual uh, type, proper job title and stuff. No, yeah, uh, close enough. So I am, I'm the principal technical product marketing manager. So I kind of sit in between sales, marketing, and, and product. So you, you hit it well. Thank you. Brilliant. Uh, next is John Stevens Hall. Uh, who has uh, done a bit of uh, podcast and panel discussions work with us before. Uh, John is a se senior product owner of uh, Remedy, I think is the title. Yeah, principal product manager. In principal the product manager. Uh, you know what? This is this is a day in which I'm going to mess up everybody's intro. <laughs> so, you know, audience, forgive me. Panelists, please forgive me. But yes, uh, John um, uh, joins us from, from, Re uh, from the Remedy camp. Uh, he's also been an author and a contributor to ITIL4 over the past couple of years, uh, authoring some fairly significant pieces for both create, deliver, and support, as well as uh, for high-velocity IT. Uh, he's uh, not only well-known within the ITSM sphere, he's also quite well-known within the DevOps sphere, and I, hopefully he'll be able to bring us some insights from both, uh, both camps. Uh, last, but certainly not least, is uh, Jay Srinivasan, uh, who is the CEO and co-founder of Ask Spoke. At spoke, sorry, I'm, I'm messing this whole thing up on at spoke. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, Jay, Jay and I actually have known each other for I think coming up to two decades now. He was he was my neighbor back in my university days, uh, and you know we used to hang out a lot. And you know I'm sure there are lots of stories which we're not going to get into on this episode. Uh, but I've known Jay for a really long time, and he's had a, an amazing career working. Uh, with uh, consultancies, advisories. Um, uh, dare I say, Jay, you're a, you're a serial entrepreneur, serial founder of tech companies? Uh, this is my, AtSpoke is my second one, so I don't know if that's officially serial. Maybe one more, <laughs> and then I can use that title. Fair enough. Uh, and your first company, I believe, was uh, AppPurify that got sold to Google some years ago, if I, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Uh, uh, first of all, yes. I don't think we should use any of this time to discuss our university days. It's <laughs> not, not a good use of our time. Uh, but uh, yeah, uh, 
I'm the co-founder and CEO of AtSpoke. Uh, we're a modern internal ticketing system, a modern internal service desk. We've been doing this since 2016, but this is my second startup. Uh, my first startup started in 2012 at Purify, sold it to Google in 2014. And so, yeah, this is my uh, second whack at the bat. So I, I, I'm going to start the, the podcast with you, Jay, because there's, there's a... There's a statement you made in a conversation to me some years ago, which I thought is, is quite appropriate here, which was when you experienced ticketing tools, ITSM tools, uh, in a large enterprise environment, you were struck by a number of number of good as well as, uh, for lack of a better word, bad things that you saw in, in many of these enterprise tools. So from your perspective, um, how do you see the current uh, uh, ITSM tool landscape. What are what are the high points of it, and and equally, where would you say uh, opportunities to improve exist? Yeah, so I, I think uh, among the among the folks on this uh, on this podcast, one I'm probably the least experienced in the ITSM space. I've only been an operator in it since 2016, but I think the the benefit of that is I get to have an external perspective. And when uh, when we were at Google, for example, and we uh, used so when we used a lot of the internal tooling, the sort of the two sort of uh, two things that stood out: one, how critical ITSM tools are. They are literally the backbone of so many organizations, uh, and uh, the way they're used, the, the the accountability they provide to actions within an organization, the criticality they have, are incredibly important. And so ITSM tools are a must-have for any company above a certain size. And so that stood out to me. At the same time, I think when I was looking at these tools, it felt like a lot of them were engineered for an old way of working. Um, they were built or they, were, they originated 10, 15 years ago. And a lot of the trends in modern workplaces, for example, the role of chat. Uh, what does Slack or Microsoft Teams imply to how you work? The role of distributed teams, you no longer have one or two offices with COVID, everyone's in a separate office, but even otherwise, well, how do you manage distributed teams? So there's such a critical mission critical tool that was engineered for an old way of working that maybe didn't particularly have usability as a key focus. It wasn't necessarily the easiest tools to use by employees. And I know the title is ITSM, but I truly believe that IT, it, it's, it's more than ITSM, it's enterprise service management. And so these tools are so hyper-focused on IT, how do you expand beyond IT? So those are, and again, as an entrepreneur, that, that's what I saw, right? Like such critical, important tools with these basic, I'd say gaps that should be addressed for the modern workplace. Fair point. Um... Uh, I, uh, Ken and, and John, I, I saw you nodding quite a bit during during uh, the, the points Jay was raising. Um, John, I'll probably come to you next, uh, going in reverse order of the introductions. Um, does uh, so? Jay's mentioned quite a few good points. Uh, I mean, anything to add to that, or does any of that uh, uh, resonate or align with yeah. what your research has, uh, has seen? It certainly resonates. We we I was lucky enough to be able to. You start working about six years ago with a really dedicated UX team, you know, there side by side with us every day to change some of those things. Because I think you're absolutely right, uh, Jay. You know, a lot of these these products had a user experience that kind of reflected the system designs of enterprise tools of the last decades, where you you kind of had a form that looked like the database table, and then you put people on that form and make them fill out every field. And 
and the overall experience often felt like filling in your text form and hitting save. So I, I completely agree. I mean, a lot, a lot of the focus we've been putting in has been to make sure that that's, that is different. You know, so why, why do we make a service desk agent click around a form saying, hold on, I've got to take some details when you can give them one field and let the, let the system do the work. And, and I think as we explore some of the trends in this conversation, user experience is going to come out in, in a pretty big way. So yeah, I, I totally agree that you know what what you saw, I think we you know it's certainly what I saw and what I understood. And as I got into product management, I was very keen to change. And Ken, uh, does this align with 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 what you've seen? Because uh, yeah, Atlassian certainly moving in a big way into the service management uh, arena, but started from uh, you know very much the development and technical operations side of things. So. Um, what has been your sort of experience or what have your customers been telling you about, you know, their experience with, with ITSM tools? Yeah, I think there's, there's kind of, there's two answers to your question. There's kind of like my experience and, and, and I've been in a enterprise ITSM space for a little over 20 years and actually worked on, you know, BMC service now, the HP suite back in the day and now, now working with Atlassian. So I've sort of seen the evolution from, I like to say I've been on both sides of the desk, you know, because I was uh -huh. a customer at one point, you know, as a recipient, you know, of of the tools, and then I moved to, you know, the consulting side of the desk, if you will, on on the, in the design side. Um, so absolutely, I I think I think you're right. There was a, an overemphasis on kind of targeting like the central service desk, you know, with with a lot of these uh, solutions. And um, one of the things that, that I personally picked up on really quickly, like the, I mean, the first time I, I read ITIL, which was which was a while ago. Uh, I said to myself, you know, there's everyone's doing this. Like there's 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 really like if you just drop the IT off of of S, you know, IT service management. You know, I, I agree with the the point um, that um, that was made earlier by Jay that you know I, I figured out pretty quickly like you could use this everywhere. So I, I kind of set about proving that out actually at the company I was at at the time, and uh, we targeted an HR service desk. So we actually rolled out the uh, IT service management solution at the time to an HR service desk that was literally using like pen and paper and an Excel spreadsheet, you know, before we came walking through the door, because I wanted to prove that it didn't really matter. Like you're, you're all doing request management. You're all doing incident management. It just so happens that the thing you're doing it against is a human being at an HR, whereas the IT people are doing it against, you know, an application or, or, a, or a server. So I think I recognize that pretty quickly that 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 opportunity was there in in the space and and I think the the vendors have come along right and and you know, you see a lot of that with uh, the recent solutions to to make these things you know more flexible and, and able to be used uh, beyond IT. Uh, fair enough, um, and I'll I'll stay with you for a moment, Ken. So again, because uh, the the experience you've had in and outside Atlassian spans so many different uh, domains in IT. But is is there is there um, is there a cross pollination that's happening from uh, tools being used by other parts of the organization? Let's say other parts of IT to begin with, but you can expand the question to you know other parts of the organization and the way in which they they do work, uh, the the interfaces they provide, etc. Do you see that that's bleeding over into the space of ITSM? Uh, and and and, I, and the reason I'm asking this question is. Uh, now, the example could be completely off, but when I've seen uh, instances of, let's say, um, Oracle or SAP 
it's still very much, uh, you know, 80s, 90s web interface type forms that, that have to be filled out. So I, I wouldn't necessarily hold up, and, and apologies to all those companies, I'm sure your technology is wonderful, but I'm just trying to talk about the interface that I've experienced. And I don't see that, that modern UX sensibility necessarily bleeding over from those industries. So where are these where are these changes coming from? Where are these trends, these drivers for that change coming from? Is it uh, is it consumerization of technology? That was a word that was thrown around quite a bit about 10 years ago. Is it consumerization of technology? Is it new technology? Where do you think some of these crossovers, cross-pollination might be coming from? So, so to back up, a couple things. So as we all know, it's getting easier and easier to buy tools you know, at, at companies, you know, so, you know, you're, you've, you know, it's, you can just, you know, get out your credit card and, and, and a tool shows up. Right. So I think there are more and more tools, uh, inside of an organization that then catch, catch on and then you have to deal with. So the, the way that I, I look at it as, is that, that the, you know, the, the ITSM tools that sort of are at the heart of a lot of this are going to have to adapt to that environment, you know, meaning that, you're you're going to have to uh, take the data, take the work to where the people are doing the work, you know, which might be in Slack, right? And it might be in in something else. Um, but because you know they all have you know at at the core this, this this shared data that they need in order to execute their work, I think the the market's going to have to respond to that. Like you're going to have to um, take the data, take the work to where the people are doing the work. Like it's the answer is not going to be well. You have to do that over there. Like that's just not going to work anymore. You know the the whole the eighty twenty platform days I think are dead. You know it's these tools are going to exist and they're going to have to work together uh, to allow the user to execute whatever the work is they're trying to do wherever it is they're doing it. You know is is the way I look at it. Fair, fair enough. Uh, Jay, I'll, I'll probably come to you next, but with the same question because I think as uh, as as a as our resident entrepreneur on this on this uh, episode, uh, you are probably pulling in ideas from across multiple domains, uh, either that you've experienced or that you've had a, a person on your team experience, and you, you have that freedom in a way, I think, to pull in from experiences in other domains. So, wh where would you say ITSM tools are getting their inspiration from these days? Um. Yeah, so first, could not agree more with Ken. And in fact, um, a phrase that Atlassian uses that I completely agree with is Cambrian SaaS explosion. You have 100 to 1,000, 2,000 different tools within an organization. And again, if you think about, again, I am not an ITIL or ITSM expert, but the, the sort of simple construct of what we're trying to solve for at At Spoke is in an organization, a person needs access to knowledge and services to get their jobs done. How do you get that? How do you provide that to them as efficiently as possible? And one of the challenges to that is the fact that there are all these fragmented tools now. So knowledge is fragmented, services are fragmented. And so th there's just the reality of having to interact with that. That's one. The second is exactly as Ken said again, things like Slack. Um, the typical at-spoke customer one of the main reasons they come to us is the Slack integration. And they're like, hey, what is the point of having an ITSM system when 70% of my ticket volume comes through direct messages on chat? And so ha having to adapt to how people actually interact with an organization is critical. So that's, that's a given. 
uh, I think the 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 other perspective we take, and I go back to this consumerization of enterprise software. Um, whether it's my experience at Google, at Purify, my previous startup, or just frankly any of the tools that we're we're used to using, I I would say uh, usability UX is now table stakes for pretty much any new company that's coming out. It is no longer a hey, I would love to also have a good user experience. I don't think so anymore. That is becoming a default, and that is indeed a consumerization of enterprise software. If I'm used to interacting with things on my phone that are so intuitive, I'm not going to go to work the next day and then fill out a form or fill out a much more complex thing. So consumerization is incredibly important. The last point I'd make, and uh, again, I believe uh, using Ken's example in the past, one of our, uh, our senior product manager is actually from Workday. Prior to that, she was at Lever. She doesn't have a ITSM background. She has HR tooling background. And the benefit of that is, hey, how does your HRIS interact with their ITSM? How do I know who is asking the question, which office they're part of? Are they a manager or not? Which team are they a part of? And how do I then use that to provide them the best possible service management experience? So I think just going beyond the IT sphere in terms of how non-IT tools are built has been a super useful signal for us in terms of, again, specifically focus on focusing on usability. I think the service management itself by far, ITSM is where you take the cues from. You need to learn how ITSM tools are used and build to that. But the usability, I've actually found, non-IT tools are some of the best tools to start from. John, uh, you know, hearing hearing Ken and, and Jay speak, I'm, I'm reminded of uh, the Medium article that you wrote a couple of years ago about whether tickets were evil or not. Because yeah. I think the, the central thrust of that was, uh, you know, it's it's the, the way in which people are being forced to use tickets and the user experience of that ticket system, that's the issue, not Absolutely. tickets in of themselves. Absolutely, and I, I kind of picked up on this this thread when I was going to DevOps conferences, you know, always been a little bit of a moonlighter. At those conferences, I was hearing this, you know, the, this dismissal of the concept of the ticket, you know, we have to raise a ticket to get a server raised. And, and if that was the experience that they were living, I can completely understand why there was negativity. However, I think it's easy to fall into the trap of blaming the ticket when the a ticket is just a record that represents a piece of work that needs to be done and that ticket probably has two phases of life one is guiding the the work through that process and then the next is becoming part of your stats and metrics and proactive data when when it's closed and filed away but i always think of the example that i used in that article where it, when i used to go to the california office of bmc about six or seven years ago and i needed a car to the airport really the local services all had the same kind of format which was you go to a web page you'd enter your name and address you'd tell it the flight number where to pick you up from all this information over page over page so that definitely reflected the ticket very literally these days i pick up my phone i open an app i hit a button there's still a ticket someone is still recording that a job needs to be done what's happening though is the system is abstracting away that ticket it's not giving me the burden of entering my location it gets it from my phone it's not worrying about where i'm going they'll figure that one out when we get there and then yeah. so the details are all still managed and captured there, there's still a piece of work being managed and it's all about the the usability and the presentation of that work you know we, we don't have to build systems that have a single field for every column on that database table that reflects that piece of work anymore what we need to do is figure out we need to think in terms of value you know what what value are we offering 
and that's what sort of led us into you know you've mentioned jay was mentioning slack you know we we've done we've done this with actually we went with with teams first because with our enterprise customers teams is prevalent we've done this exercise of bringing the value of the itsm tool to the chat so there's still we're still doing clever things we're still matching knowledge we're still figuring out similar tickets we're, we're, we're using natural language to enable people to make updates but as jay put it we're going to where they are working you know and and that enables a lot of great benefits to spin off like enabling things like swarming you know it, it opens up new ways of working in a better way because the tool is there in the collaboration space rather than being a separate window that people have to go to after they've had a line of the conversation to go and update things. So, so is it is it fair to say that the the, the biggest, if I were to pick uh, or try to identify the single biggest driver, just uh, you know, because we all love lists and, and 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 prize winners, but if I were to try to pick out the single biggest driver in this space today, would it be fair to say that it's um, creating better systems of engagement than it is about creating systems of record or workflow in the back end? Do you think the focus has now shifted more to that front end and the system and the engage, system of engagement aspect? I would say that that's certainly true to an extent. I think it's also about realizing value. What what what's happened, especially from the DevOps world, with that very kind of lean inspired culture, is that we nobody nobody we, we're in a, we're in a situation where nobody is going to do stuff in that sphere if it's not obviously valuable. So so I think the systems still have to be extremely smart. You know, it, it's not just about making it a good engagement. And we also, because if I'm just doing something mundane, but it's got a great UX, it's still going to seem like it's not adding value. I think the trick is to to think both in terms of what the user is doing with their day, but also what distinct value that ITSM tool is bringing that makes it still a desirable thing for that enterprise to use. And, and so I would go beyond what you said, because if that if there's not distinct value if, if it's not something that people could just do themselves you know we're all competing ultimately with with a number of different things right down to post-it notes and spreadsheets so we've got to have something better we've got to have something that makes that, that makes those people's job better as well as doing it in an elegant way that fits their their, their daily experience well as well uh fair enough what does that what does that do for things like uh, governance uh, or risk management or, or I mean, compliance is, is a different beast in, in my in my head. Compliance is a completely different beast than risk management or, or governance because you know, to an extent compliance can be automated. You can you can file a, a report uh, a part, as part of your workflow or you can generate a report as part of your workflow, file it away in a specific uh, table of a database or, or, or something like that. But are we talking about um, also abstracting away or for lack of a better word, obscuring the governance policies, controls, constraints, so that then you're you're sort of um, reducing those points of friction. Um, Ken, uh, let me come to you with that question. Is is this something that you, you see, especially working across that dev and operations divide, as well as you know, with, with service desk uh, professionals as well? Do you see uh, this this drive to minimize the friction with, with enterprise governance and, and risk management and so on? Uh, yeah, 100%. Um, I was around for for the the, uh, the fun that was SOX, right? When, uh, you know, the, <laughs> I, I call it the, the, the overreaction to SOX, where it was now we're going to we're going to make everything a financial system and we're going to 
apply controls on everything. And, and thankfully, you know, the pendulum has now swung the other way. Um, so what I see now, um, or, or what I said, what I should say, I, I, I see more of and hope to see more of is, is people, you know, taking a, a more innocent until proven guilty approach, you know, to, you know, the types of changes that, that are being implemented, you know, where, you know, if, you know, no one wants to write anything down. That's just human nature, <laughs> right? Um, I, I sort of think back to, um, like, I started my career in retail, right? And, and you, what did you do when you first came to work? You had to go to the wall and you had to swipe your, your time card in, right? And no one, no one wants to do that, right? It's like, you just want to go do your work and go home, but you do want to get paid, you know? So um, getting back to, to the point that John made around, you need to show the value, you know, to, to the developers, you know, and in retail, it's the paycheck. Well, in, in, on the development side, you want to show them. You want to show them, hey, you know, you're 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 doing such a good job at implementing, you know, this type of change over a period of time that maybe you don't need the approval anymore. You know, maybe this is now a pre-approved standard change. You know, we, we you remove even more friction. Or if you can, if you can, uh, the example that that John pointed to, which is, uh, you know, I'm guessing some kind of of you know Lyft or Uber for you know for Europe, if you can you know, figure out how to protect the developer, you know, from, you know, the risk or the compliance, you know, or the audit that's, that's going to, to come to say, okay, you're, you're doing this type of change or you're doing it against this type of system. And we're going to go get this approval for you, you know, that, that you need, you know, do it in, in such a way where it's not intrusive, but it's protecting them, um, you know, from doing something that would then fail an audit. I think they would appreciate that. It's sort of flipping the the model around to where you're, you know, you're helping the developer prove that they're doing a good job, um, and you're protecting them, you know, from things that they may or may not know as it relates to to compliance. So, uh, I think it's like it's flipping that prop around to where you're you're providing the value, you know, to the to the developer versus, you know, saying you know thou shalt, you know, and and you know forcing right. them to do something that they don't understand, you know, why they're doing it. Right. That, that, that's a good point. Uh, oftentimes, we, we we all have worked in organizations or in roles where we don't know why we're supposed we're having to do the things we're doing because we can, off the top of our heads, think of better ways in which to do that same task. Uh, Jay, I'd like to come back to you with uh, with that same question because, uh, as I understand it, uh, with the types of companies you've worked in, and again, I appreciate you're not a, an ITSM professional, but you've been working with organizations of different sizes. Um, or, or teams of different sizes uh, using systems that we uh, perhaps might not even have heard of. Uh, but how do you see that interplay between you know, corporate governance or, or enterprise governance and risk management playing out with, with the, some of the teams that you've been working with? Yeah, so uh, that actually ties a few different uh, things together. One, uh, this notion of cross-team usage of of these systems, right? So um, there's so many workflows or sort of actions that are taken within an organization that aren't just within, it's not just within the IT team or not just within the HR team. So where I really see it come out is this notion of what I think of as a permissioned workflow. A cross team workflow, uh, take something like onboarding or offboarding. So a typical SOC audit, uh, uh, a SOC 2 audit would they'd, they'd say, hey, show me all the steps you took to onboard or offboard these three random employees. And how that has historically been handled is through seven different systems, some spreadsheets, uh, emails, a ticketing system, et cetera. And 
what we're seeing, regardless of size a company is, now that I have so many distributed tools, if I can have one system, which is a hub, which says, hey, the ticket, the ticket in this case is actually onboarding. And that ticket has 10 different steps, which involve 10 different teams to 10 different tools. But the benefit of the ticket is that is that it provides accountability. It provides a single record of everything that happened. So I guess my specific answer to your question is where we're seeing that among our customers, large and small, especially is when it comes to multi-team, multi-step actions that require different tools, having that all in one place has been incredibly powerful. Where pre historically, it was literally the scramble to find the spreadsheet and print out some weird log and stitch it all together and email it to an auditor. Oh, I recognize that. Um, I mean, I, I, I think, I think uh, I, I should mention at this point, a lot of stuff that, that, that you've just described, I'm sure uh, would be familiar to a lot of our listeners. It, it, the, the, this, this technique of you know, mapping your value stream or value stream mapping, understanding the flow of work and information and value across your organization, across multiple systems um, has been around. It's, it's certainly been in lean IT. Uh, Idle Force also reflected it, and we we write about it in some of the books that John's contributed to as well. Uh, so hopefully, if, you, if you're interested in finding out more about these sorts of things, we'll have contact information for each of our guests uh, at the end, but also do look at some of the things, some of the literature in, in Idle 4. Hi, everyone. Um, Akshay here again. Um, sorry to interrupt your uh, podcast listening, uh, but we like to take the opportunity in these podcasts to uh, bring you a, a profile of someone interesting or someone who's doing some really interesting things in different parts of the world. And up for you today is uh, Nargis Mirza, uh, the community manager uh, working in the um, home office, as well as uh, across a number of other UK government departments. Um, I first met Nargis at an ITSMF UK conference uh, maybe two or three years ago. And since then, she's become uh, very involved with uh, some of the work that Axelos has been doing around the Idle 4 development, uh, as well as uh, working with different members of a team to um, champion or evangelize uh, Idle and IT service management um, in the UK government. Uh, but enough from me, let's hear about, uh, about Nargis uh, in her own words. Hi, my name is Nargis Mirza. I work in the public sector of digital data and technology for UK government. Uh, I'm currently the IT operations community manager, helping to build communities of practice, supporting collaboration within large organizations, specifically for service management, and trying to align some of the best practice that we've got with uh, existing frameworks. For example, we're using an ITIL structure, an ITIL 3 structure within a SIAM function, and trying to support agile processes against that too. In terms of my um, career and where I started from, uh, I began as a humble change analyst back in 2003, managing IT changes for policing systems. When I look back throughout my career and think about some of the real highlights and also some of the challenges that I've had, um, some of the main highlights have really been able to say that I've had a real take in being able to practically implement some solutions to capability building, uh, building professional skills alignment and continuous professional development so that all the careers within the home office and people that we support can really flourish. Um, and it's a really, it's a really valuable feeling to have to be able to say that you've helped someone to develop their career. And I guess that comes from a personal 
a personal um a personal point of view as well where i've been through that journey myself so i know how it feels to start from there and then be able to go through and have that support it, it is really valuable i guess one of the biggest challenges that um that i had within my career was well, one of the one of the most amazing things throughout my career is going away on maternity leave and having two beautiful children. But that came with the challenges of when I returned, um, changing my hours, work not being my priority at that time, continuously feeling that I had to catch up um, and build up my understanding again of technology and all the changes that had come in. And then just having that constant sort of guilt around being at work, but also wanting to be with my children. It was a real adjustment factor that I needed to put into place. And I did that by working part-time. However, I think even with working part-time, it meant that I wasn't fully able to focus on work, yet I was able to balance it with being a mother. And I think having that balance is really important. However, it was very, very challenging. So for those who are enjoying similar successes and also facing similar challenges, my advice would be aim as high as you can, believe in yourself and don't limit your experiences. Doing something new is really daunting, but it's also really exciting. And from what I found, it's really rewarding too. I think that the difficult part is being able to take that step and be able to move forward with it. But I think that once you take it, you realize that there's a world of opportunities out there. And the hardest part is just taking that first step. It's also really important to not be afraid to speak out. It could be that you're raising a really important, much needed change that nobody has actually been able to talk about before or maybe hasn't raised before. There's always the one person who's going to stand up and say something that could make the biggest difference. In terms of managers, with team members and experiencing similar challenges, I would, I would say the best way to support that and be able to help team members is to really ask those difficult questions when you're sitting in those one-to-ones and you're having those conversations about how people are feeling and how, how um, they're managing with their workload and what's, what's the future of the rest of the week or the, or the month or the, the year looking like. I think it's really important to, to, to challenge the I'm fine responses and really ask people what you can do to help them or whether there is anything that you can do to help them. It's really important, I think, to do that because you start a new dialogue of being personally involved and wanting to help. And I think that you will you will hear different responses rather than the, how are you doing? Yes, I'm fine, which is our kind of natural automated response. But I think there's a lot of people who, once you sort of ask a little bit more, really, are you okay? What happened on the weekend? What did you do? What's going on? You find out a lot more about people and it's important to do that, to have that really, really, really close dialogue. Most importantly, I think, um, just believe in yourself and, and, and think that every day is an opportunity to help people and to try and get closer to team members and be able to help them will inevitably help in every situation. Final thoughts on, on all of this are, it's really made me think about my own personal journey and I've never really thought about it in this way or gone through the steps of what I went through and how I got to where I am today. But I think it's a really important thing for everyone to do 
because we always talk about our future careers and where we want to be and what we want to do. But having looking back on it and seeing what our experiences are, I think that they really form the future of where we want to be. You can get in touch with me on LinkedIn at Nergis Mirza. Hey, so this is Akshay again. I hope you uh, enjoyed that. And now let's get back to your regularly scheduled podcast. And we're back. Um, I thought it might be uh, fun, hopefully fun, uh, if we could maybe talk about uh, uh, maybe a couple of um, sort of, uh, not trends, but drivers that have gotten us to this point and how we see those same drivers perhaps evolving or changing. Um, I'll go first as an example. A lot of organizations that I've seen, uh, at least IT organizations that I've seen historically have been driven by cost management initiatives. There's always this imperative to improve ROI, to reduce costs, et cetera. And one of the ways in which we we see this manifesting in, in the tools that we use is a lot of IT teams are, uh, or ITSM teams and, and service desk teams have tried to implement self-service portals or have implemented self-service portals to deflect calls so that now it's the automation taking care of a lot of the uh, the, 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 these requests uh, for, for help, for thing, for, for kit or, or whatever it might be. So you're not using, quote unquote, an expensive member of staff to handle uh, what could be regarded as, as busy work or toil. Um, but on the flip side, and I think Happy Signals um, had, a, had a report, was it last year or, or this year? Uh, maybe both years. Uh, I think it was something like self-service portals was amongst the lowest uh, rated source of satisfaction when, when it came to sources of satisfaction. And I think walk-up was, was the highest source of satisfaction, which for me kind of makes sense because I'm a very social creature. And I think as humans, we're very social creatures and we'd rather interact with a person rather than interacting with um, automation. Uh, I mean, how many times have we been frustrated with a, with a phone call that we're trying to place to our bank or to an airline where we have to go through this endless series of menus that never quite describes what we're trying to do. Um, so I think that cost management had, had led to, to, directly or indirectly, led to the rise of self-service portals. But I'd be curious to see if, if you guys can, can think of some of the wider sort of trends that you see and, and how that might be changing. Um, Ken, would you, would you like to go first? Uh, sure. Um, so yeah, 100%. Um, you know, this area that, that I've seen burning really hot, and it's not new, it's just been burning hot for a while, has been around right around call deflection. You know, you see a lot of the, the chatbot technologies and, and the automation that's, that's, you know, furiously trying to figure out how to get the human being out of the, the conversation between, you know, the customer or employee, you know, and the, and the back-end person, you know, delivering it. So, um, but... Um, I agree. You know, it's 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 tricky because when it works well, um, it works very well. I've had I had an experience recently that worked very well. Like my my cable was having issues. I called my cable company. I knew pretty quickly I was talking to a bot, <laughs> but the system actually you know rebooted my cable system and I was back online and there was no human being in the mix. Right, so they saved probably 15 minutes of you know an agent's time you know in that in that transaction and and I was happy. Um, but, you know, when, when the things don't work well, right, you know, that's when I think the, the frustration gets, gets higher much faster. Like, I think, you know, one of the things that's interesting is I, I, used, I worked at a large service desk at a, at a large financial institution years ago. And one of the things that we noticed is, is a, a person will be willing to wait on the 
phone longer if they feel like you're helping them. You know, they're, they're like if, if you're on the phone for five or 10 minutes, it seems like a long time. But if the, but if they believe the person is trying to help them, they, they will have high customer satisfaction in that scenario. But when you're talking to a machine that's not helping you, <laughs> like your frustration gets to 10, you know, pretty quickly. So I think the the it's definitely worth the investment to try and figure out, you know, if you know where to use this. But I think it's it needs to go a level down. Like it's going to be use case specific. I think figure out where the automation works well and use it there, but don't try and use it everywhere. Like figure out where it doesn't work well and get that person to a human being as quickly as possible. So I think it's it's got to be a balance. Um, so 100%. That's that's um, you know an area I, I certainly see uh, burning pretty hot right now. Uh, John, um, any any thoughts that, that you may have? You know, drivers from outside of IT or ITSM, which leads to the behaviors that we see, or even leads to the leads to the tool design and the tool adoption that we see. Yes, it's it's interesting. One of, I'm, I think we're actually touching on something that that has sometimes been a bit of a concern for me, which is. We, we frame things up in terms of call deflection and concepts like this. And, and call deflection is a very desirable outcome, but it's not a customer outcome. Customer doesn't care how many calls we deflect. What the customer cares about is, hey, that self-service experience was much better than if I had to go and sit on the service desk. And I think one of the things that IT service management has really got in its favor across a wealth of different discussions is that we've always been the shop window for that supported user. We've always been that front end of IT, and and this is another another source of value that is one of the things that we can bring to the DevOps world where they're more isolated. So, so actually, I think in general, the the idea of customer satisfaction and and, and areas of thinking from the customer service world, like your net promoter score analysis, is pushing some of the innovations in that self service portal world. You know, that, that's why we see. A lot of investment and a lot of desire from our, our customers to have intelligent chatbots rather than long cascading menus of services because there's this recognition now that in, in, if you're whether you're serving employees or whether you're serving some kind of external customer they are they have got a wealth of options they, they could probably go and google their problem if they feel like the service organization is going to be cumbersome to deal with so in, in general customer service thinking is inevitably coming in to service management tooling and i think that's something we we you know we we need to continue to do as we move forward okay um i uh, i was going to i i was going to say uh, the the big trend one of the big trends that i'm seeing uh, among our customers uh, is uh, around csat but i think john and ken completely captured the whole premise where we're seeing the importance of that metric among the other metrics that are being tracked in, for example, when the IT team is reporting up to management, CSAT is increasingly becoming the first, if not one of the top three metrics that is being shared. So there is definitely this, this push towards uh, a customer centricity, knowing that, hey, if you don't give them a good customer experience, they're gonna go help themselves in a lot of times whether it's for governance, risk, compliance, whatever else, it's not the best thing. So that's definitely one. Uh, but to give a new, a, another sort of distinct trend that I'm seeing, sure. uh, I think it, ha it has to do with uh, the APIification of tools. Uh, essentially, 
something like when we were doing an analysis, something like half of service desk tickets required the agent that was working on the ticket to go into at least one other tool. And the premise here is very, very simple. Most, if not all tools today, have fairly robust REST APIs. And the ticket is just the beginning of the work. The ticket is where the workflow starts, the runbook starts. And so I think you're going to see over the next few years just incredible robustness of integrations from service desk tools to, and AtSpoke does this a lot, but from service desk tools to the myriad, of, take something like Jamf. Uh, I, I'm managing my fleet of Macs. I need to go do something. What I should be able to do is click a button in my ticketing system in my service desk to go run a command in Jamf. Right, things like that you're going to see more and more of where all these tools are just going to get interconnected and are either going to be automated or click to play. Uh, okay, so I, I, I'll throw out one, one question here in, in response. Um, doesn't this then throw us back to, you know, those good old days of the, what was it, mid, late 90s of the SOA architecture and the message bus and the God awful nightmare it was to ma manage and maintain that. Do, do, do you see that then starting to sure. recur? Well, it, well, it's all the same few constructs that are repeated over and over again. And here, here is basically where <coughs> user design comes in. So you have permissioning, you have uh, access control, you have what is allowed by the end user versus what is only allowed by an agent, and you have all the different tools. And yeah, it is, it is indeed essentially the same thing where, uh, in this case, the ticketing system becomes the bus and uh, you essentially design around that and then make sure the permissioning and everything works around that. But yeah, it is the same concept. It is, uh, your your, your uh, ticketing system, I'm analogy here, but uh, it, it's uh it's it's the router that's all it is the ticketing system is the router uh it 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 doesn't actually do anything it sends it to the right team or person and kicks off the right runbook which could be automated or would require a human intervention interesting uh ken john you know you probably also remember the the good old days of the message bus and the soa architecture do, do you see this uh, now starting to rear its head? I mean, I do agree. For what it's worth, I do agree with Jay and 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 his premise that the the APIification is is about to hit us. Uh, and go, going back to to the phrase he used about the the Cambrian explosion of of SaaS, it will be a Cambrian explosion of of APIs. But do you think we're, we're do you think we would have learned the mistakes of the past and and avoid the the nightmare that was the message bus? So, so the short answer is is yes. That's we are there. <laughs> you, know, if you, you know, if you ask me, like, what can we expect from? I, I think one of your questions, what, what can we expect from IT seven in the future? Integrations <laughs> would be my answer. Um, I think the difference now, though, is is back then, you know, you, you had to have a third party tool kind of in between everything, you know. Whereas now, you you don't need that anymore. You know, now you you know, well, in most cases, you don't need it anymore. I think every, everyone, I think everyone collectively from a vendor perspective knows. That it's in their best interest to play nice with others, <laughs> right? Because you're you're never going to go into a to a company and and see one vendor, right? You know, or, or even a handful. Like you're going to see a hundred everywhere, right? So, and it's in their interest to 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 play nice with each other because if they don't, I think they know they'll they'll quickly get replaced. So, 
Um, so absolutely, I feel I still think you'll have a source of record, you know, as you know, with whatever practice it is you're you're implementing. But you know, the I think the word you you um, use actually is a source of engagement, right? It's like, but where you touch that record might not be in that system. It might be one system over. It might be two systems over, right? But the, the data is flowing through, and you're able to get done what you need to get done over there. I'd like to I'd like to ask about one more question uh, before I, before I wrap this up, um, and and this goes back to some of the some of the literature that we see from uh, people like Dave Snowden, uh, folks in the knowledge management community, for example. You know, there, there's a saying. Uh, I'm not sure if I can I should attribute it to Dave Snowden or whether it was said by somebody else, uh, but it goes roughly along the lines of um, I know more than I can say, and I can say more than I can write. Um, and do you see this sort of uh, empathetic, narrative-based way of working where people are essentially swapping stories? So, you know, the 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 knowledge is held within these these stories. Now, in the past, we could have we would have, we would have pointed to like the ticket log and the, the the ticket updates where somebody says, "I did this, and then that worked," or "I did this, and the customer didn't like it," or, or whatever it might be. But do you see, how do you see that play, uh, uh, playing in the space of ITSM tools moving forward? Because you're absolutely, everybody has mentioned customer satisfaction. We've not necessarily used the word empathy, but we've we've sort of gone very close towards that word empathy in talking about the experience of, uh, of engaging with these tools and uh, the, the customer satisfaction that, that comes out of that and so on. How do you see this whole space of, of narrative knowledge management playing. Uh, John, I'll come to you first. I think knowledge is huge at the moment. It, it's getting bigger and bigger. And I, I, I think there's a number of things driving that, including this in ever increasing breadth of technology. What I'm seeing is that now organizations are recognizing that they, they have to enable their support functions to be able to still continue to deliver a level of service with all this rapidly changing technology. And therefore it's becoming very important to, to capture and share knowledge. The trouble is over the years, knowledge management has been something that has, you know, organizationally at companies has, has frequently been left to wither. You know, people will make a start on it. And this is independent of the tools. You know, you can't fix this necessarily with a tool, but you can help. People have, so companies have left it to, individual teams, those teams have had some big task to curate knowledge, it's got out of date, it's lost engagement, it's gone. What we're seeing now is a lot of drive towards thinking like KCS, knowledge centered service, where the difference is that it embeds knowledge really in everything. You're kind of expected to to engage with knowledge, you're, you're meant to create it as you fix things. And, and the idea is you at least build up this catalog of the known unknowns as, as Dave Snowden might put it, you, with the goal of not having to solve the same problem twice. So one of the biggest things I think that an ITSM tool can be adding in this in this very mixed, you know, this, this world where operations teams and service teams are working much more together, there's a lot of tools in the mix, we're having to go to the tools that people are working in. But intelligent capture and curation and distribution of knowledge is one of the major distinctive values that service management tooling can be bringing to those those people in in the different places they're working. So absolutely, it's a critical subject for us at the moment. 
does, does this resonate with, with your experiences, Ken, or with what you're seeing today? Uh, it does. And, and I would add that, um, uh, you know, like the collapse of the levels, you know, at a at a service desk, you know, you know, back in the day, you know, you, you hit the first person, they can't do it, they pass to the second person. But nowadays, you're, you're, you're kind of going right to the person you, you need to go to these days, you know, whether it's via chat, you know, or, or via, you know, a call system or, or whatever. Um, I think uh, companies have recognized that it's important, you know, to, to get you get you as the customer or, or employee, you know, to the person who can help you as quickly as possible. You know, and chat chat apps help with that tremendously. Um, but you don't have that that routing anymore. And 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 part of the reason for that, right, is is to to John's point and, and your point earlier is that the stuff's just not written down as much as we would hope it would be. Like it's it's not someplace where someone can go read it, you know, necessarily. So in the absence of that, let me get you to the mind share, which is the human being who has your answer. <laughs> right. Right. So so the sooner you figure that out and can and can, you know, close that transaction, if you will, you know, the better it is for for overall customer service. Uh, Jay, I'll, I'll come to you with with the with the same question just uh, before we wrap things up. With with what you see, certainly uh, with enterprise service management, uh, I'm sure knowledge the, the the management of knowledge across the enterprise is a bigger issue than the management of knowledge just for IT service management. But but does does do some of these things around empathy and and sort of storytelling and and narrative techniques gel with with what you're seeing? No. Oh. A million percent. I completely agree with um, with everything uh, Ken and John are saying. Right. The the what the role of knowledge, especially fragmented distributed knowledge within an organization, cross team fragmented distributed knowledge. Like right, there's no longer one central SharePoint folder. There's now a thousand documents in a thousand different places, different levels, etc. Um, and so it it is. And people want access to this. And so how do you surface it? But more importantly, how do your IT service management tools enable you to surface them effectively? So for example, uh, with that spoke, but I'm sure with most other tools these days, having the ability to create a knowledge base article on the fly when responding to a ticket or making it relatively easy to do that is almost table stakes because that, that is you're creating the knowledge, associating it with a relevant question. This is the best time to actually create that knowledge and link it. So I think there's a lot of uh, uh, there's a lot of work happening on knowledge curation as it relates to tickets and the IT service management tools are the best tools to enable that. But that's so that's one part of it. Uh, the second part of it is to the point around empathy. Don't overdo it as well. Don't go boil the ocean on knowledge. Uh, Think about the 80% of tickets that are covered by the 20 articles. Focus on those and then maybe have humans work on the rest of the tickets, right? Like not having people go through seven different articles that are slightly differently phrased to have to figure out on their own versus saying, look, these are the top questions. Let's have knowledge for that. Let's make it easily accessible and link from the ticketing system. And for everything else, maybe send it to a human. I think. You're going to find, going back to this point around CSAT, knowledge is critical, curating the knowledge is critical, tying it to your ITSM tool is critical, but don't overdo it. Because if you also want to manage CSAT, then you don't need to go through this massive knowledge exercise once. Instead, focus on the key articles and have everything else go to a human, is kind of what we see. Fair, fair enough. Uh, John? It, I agree again. And, and 
just to emphasize you know, just how broad this concept is going, you know, it, it was interesting just today seeing Patrick Dubois on Twitter, who's effectively almost the founder of DevOps, almost, you could argue. It was his presentation that almost started everything. And he's been talking today about how how they can capture knowledge from, well, he's talking about GitOps, you know, the de- de- very developer-focused operations and infrastructure management. But that that conversation is coming up. How can we capture the knowledge? How can we we, we grab this stuff, curate it, and share it. So I think it really emphasizes this in particular is a, it's such a big area right now. Uh, but before we wrap up, I, I just wanted to add also that something that, that Jay said um, reminded me of, of a, an absolutely wonderful piece of writing um, from uh, a New Zealander called Rob England. Uh, he published an entire book called Standard Plus Case. Uh, which sort of goes along the lines of what uh, Jay was talking about, uh, and the concept is, uh, and and the concept uh, draw, draws on, you know, uh, we mentioned Dave Snowden and you know his Kinevin framework, and you know, it's a lot of different things coming together. But the the gist of it is, if you can industrialize something, go ahead and industrialize it, but of course provide ways of escalation. And for the things that can't be industrialized, uh, make sure you can get it to the right person to deal with it as quickly as possible. At a very basic level, and, and and Rob will probably hate me for 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 you know boiling boiling his entire book down to that one sentence, uh, but that's that's effectively what it is. So you know it, you may have uh, certain uh, types of incidents or requests that happen time and time again. Well, industrialize how you respond to that. Whether that's in industrializing the the search uh, functionality to get you the right knowledge article or the automation to fulfill or, you know, to Ken's example, automatically reboot a, a router. But the stuff that can't be handled through that sort of at scale uh, prescriptive uh, uh, way needs to get to a person as quickly as possible. Uh, so for, for those interested, uh, I, I really do recommend uh, go to your browser and, and search for a standard plus case. It, it's, a, it's a really fascinating uh, book to, to read through. Um, I'd like to I'd like to wrap things up here. I mean, we can we can go on talking for another hour, I think, uh, just on the topic of tools and trends and and so on. But um, before before we go, I, I you know, uh, Ken, where can people find you and read about more of the work that you do? And perhaps if they're interested in in finding out more about uh, the tools that you work uh, that that you offer, uh, where can they go to find out more about you and and Atlassian? Yeah, yeah, you, you can reach me on LinkedIn, um, absolutely. Um, or you know, I'm. I'm all over the various content on, on Atlassian's website, whether it's the video content or the or the written content. So you'll find a lot of things with with me there as well. Cool, uh, John. Uh, where can people find out more about you or, or uh, the company you work for? Um, absolutely. I mean, bmc.com is the website, and I've written a lot of content on there, on the blogs area in particular. Um, I'd also suggest I, I have my my Twitter account where I'm pretty active. So that's at John Stevens Hall. Um, and always interested with always interested to talk about any of this stuff with people there too. So yeah, awesome. And I think that's John as J O N rather than J O H N. Yeah. And uh, Jay, where can people find you and uh, more information about uh, Spoke? At Spoke.com, A T S P O K E dot com is the best place to go. And uh, uh, all of uh, my information as well as uh, other webinars, content uh, about our philosophy to service management can be found there. Presented by Axelos.